The Old Testament reading is from the book of Psalms. It's Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, my, oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is our refuge, or God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. In rich, if riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever felt like the entire world is against you? One of the things I think is worth noting about the book of Psalms is that it's, it's real. Uh, we have here recorded for us uh, the writing of King David, a guy who knew what it was like to be on top of the world and at uh, other times feel like the world was against him. And um, in effect, it was. And he didn't pretty things up. He wasn't a plaster saint, as they say. Have you ever run across people that you, you know, see or hear one thing from, but you kind of know they're feeling something else? Have you ever come across somebody that's always putting kind of like a smiley face on stuff, but you know deep down inside or you suspect deep down inside the person is just not <laughs> as they're presenting themselves? That it's all kind of like on the surface, but deep down there's something else? You don't get that with David. <laughs> He's about as transparent as you can be. He tells you what's on his mind. And one of the things, too, that's also fascinating about the Psalms is how he kind of shifts in the course of a psalm from talking to the Lord, to talking to himself, to talking to his enemies, to talking to the rest of us. Have you noticed that? Back and forth, up and down, in and out, it's all over the place. And it's worth keeping track of just who he's addressing at any given point in time. Now, one of the things that you see in the Psalms is that uh, you don't escape adversity by climbing the ladder. In fact, things can get a whole lot worse the higher you go. I think we all kind of have this idea that maybe we'll hit the lottery or something will happen in our lives and then all of the stress and struggle will be behind us and it'll just be easy street from that point on. And then you actually read about people who hit the lottery and you discover their problems really began 
the day they hit the lottery. They lose all their friends. Uh, they end up broke, <laughs> sometimes in jail. And they say, you know, the worst thing that ever happened to me was the best day of my life. Kind of wild to consider. What is it about us that uh, can take something as marvelous as sort of a windfall and ruin our own lives with it? But uh, another dimension to this is that the higher you go, the easier you are to see and the more likely you become a target. And that's what we see here. When your head rises above the crowd, people notice. And they say, what's that guy think he's up to? She's pretty full of herself, isn't she? And you get what I'm getting at here. There's a tendency uh, for people to thrust those who, because of good fortune, find themselves in a high place. Look at verse 4. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Man, there's a lot there. And uh, what we see there is not very flattering. Uh, what we see on display is just how, du- how much duplicity human beings can be guilty of. Thrust him down. Envy. Have you ever given any thought to the passion that we refer to as envy? It's really a kind of inverted pride. Uh, what is at work in envy is a sense that that person's no better than me. I deserve what that person has. So it's not humility that's on display in envy. It's actually offense at the sort of good thing that happened to somebody else. I posted something this week somewhere online, and basically it's this. You really need to learn to be genuinely happy when good things happen to other people. That can be one of the toughest things to do of all. Be honest. To be genuinely happy when somebody else enjoys success. To really smile when somebody else enjoys success. Here's, here's kind of what I'm getting at in a sort of odd, sort of inverse way. Sometimes the reason why we're so loving and concerned about people who are going through hardships is because being able to help them makes us feel important, makes us feel good about ourselves. I've known a lot of people who just surround themselves with miserable people because it makes them feel better about themselves. I've known a lot of people who have broken off friendships with people who have been successful because the success of the other person makes them feel worse about themselves. Wild, isn't it? Shouldn't we be happy when good things happen to other people? Wouldn't we want other people to be happy for us when good things happen to us? Right? Nevertheless, it's the story of Cain all over again. Cain is one of our forefathers. We don't like to think about him, (laughs) but uh, he is. Cain uh, was guilty of a great sin, and uh, the sin was the result of envy. He murdered his brother. This was a man who had a hard time uh, enjoying the success of other people. (laughs) In fact, uh, in his mind, the success of of his brother, Abel, was not an occasion for him to ask for advice. Hey, Abel, your, your offering was received. Can you give me some insight? <laughs> Help me understand how my, my offering could be received as well. No, it doesn't occur to him. No, 
Instead, what occurs to him is, I've got to wipe this guy out. I've got to kill this guy. And inwardly, we're like that. We're murderous when we come across people who succeed and we don't feel like we're successful. Uh, I remember one time I was, uh, back in the days when I was involved in urban ministry, uh, I was uh, you know, interacting with lots of folks, and I had an opportunity to, 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 to give a lift to a, a guy who was a working-class guy. And he was, he was one of these old kind of you know, guys who had seen everything. And uh, he was complaining about the state of the community in the neighborhood that he was in. And he said, it's crab world. It's crab world. It's just like crab world. And I was like, crab world? What are you talking about? He said, have you ever noticed that you don't have to put a lid on the crab barrel? I said, no, I don't spend any time at the dock. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, this is how it works. You put crabs in the barrel. And when one crab is trying to get out, what happens? All the other crabs just pull them back in. <laughs> crab world. If I don't get out, nobody gets out. That's uh, more common than I think uh, we want to admit. The Sword of Damocles. Are you familiar with that story, the Sword of Damocles? So there was this tyrant, the tyrant of Syrac- Syracuse. His name was Dionysius. Dionysius II. He was a nasty guy, uh, but there was a person that was in the court. His name was Damocles, and uh, in order to ingratiate himself to the to uh, to the king, to Dionysius, he, he praised him. He's, you know, he's, he looked at him on his throne. And he said, "Man, isn't it just you're, you're just so magnificent, surrounded as you are by courtiers and a harem and just all the." The marvels that uh, you know wealth can 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 buy, and the tyrant Dionysius looked at him and said, "You want to sit in my chair?" "Oh yes, I'd love to sit on the chair." It's the throne, of course. So he says, "Go right ahead." So he walks up, sits down in the chair on the throne, and then notices above his head a sword dangling by a horsehair from the pommel. And he said, "Now you know." Every moment of my life. I fear for my life because of the envy, the resentment, the hatred of people who want what I have. Sword of Damocles. Be careful what you ask for. You might get it. <laughs> you might get elevated and discover that you are now the object of other people's ire. There's a marvelous uh, toast that C.S. Lewis wrote called Screwtape uh, proposes or makes a toast. Are you familiar with that? You might be familiar with the Screwtape Letters, that marvelous book in which a, a, a demon, Screwtape, uh, trains a junior demon, Wormwood, in how to, well, damn a soul. They fail, and at the end, uh, the person that they were working to damn gets away because he's been saved by God. And, uh, but at that point, C.S. Lewis didn't want to think about screw tape anymore. He said it was one of the more depressing things that he'd ever uh, written because he had to get into the mind of the demonic in order to, to write the book. But he was asked to write something else, uh, taking upon himself the persona of screw tape, and uh, screw tape proposes a toast or makes a toast is what he wrote. And in that, there's this marvelous uh, set of statements. This is screw tape the demon. No man who says, I'm as good as you, believes it. He would not say it if he did. The St. Bernard never says, 
that to the toy dog, nor the scholar to the dunce, nor the employable to the bum, nor the pretty woman to the plain. To claim the claim to equality outside the strictly political field is made only by those who feel themselves to be in some way inferior. What it expresses is precisely the itching, the smarting, the writhing awareness of an inferiority which the patient refuses to accept. By the way, the term patient in screw tape refers to you and me. We are the patients, the persons that are being tempted. And therefore resents, yes, and therefore resents every kind of superiority in others, denigrates it, wishes its annihilation. Presently, he suspects every mere difference of being a claim to superiority. So, this is the situation that we find ourselves in. Notice, though, that in that verse, uh, there's this statement, they bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. People don't necessarily say what's actually on their mind. Have you noticed that? (laughs) In fact, they can actually say precisely the opposite of what they're really thinking. With their mouths, they bless, but inwardly they curse. And what we're talking about is uh, the, well, there's a term, uh, the sycophant or the sycophant. The sycophant is a person who, uh, kind of in a smarmy way, uh, ingratiates himself or herself to other people through compliments that they don't really mean, but in order to kind of win the favor of the person that they're speaking to, in order to get something that they want. And that's basically what was happening, of course, in that story of the sort of Damocles. Uh, Damocles was a sycophant. He was saying things he didn't really mean because he saw the king had things that he did want, he wanted. And what happens uh, when you're surrounded by sycophants? This is a problem that many wealthy and powerful people have to deal with. Maybe it seems like something you know you wouldn't have to think about, but uh, I think you do, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But often, wealthy and uh, even good-looking people are really lonely because they don't know who they can trust. Is this person really telling me something that they think? Or are they just trying to get something out of me? And that suspicion kind of eats away at them, and it isolates them. And because of this, they kind of feel like they're vulnerable at any given time. That's what's referred to there in verse 3. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? I think this implies, of course, that if the wall were to fall, that the fence were to come down, then the person would be vulnerable, uh, subject to the predations of the people who say nice things about them. This is human nature. Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) Get human nature put on display this way. Now, it works another way, too, and this is something else that I think we need to keep in mind, and this is what I was getting at or implying when I said we have to think about uh, sycophants, because uh, you can be one uh, in, in a way that perhaps you haven't considered. Let me let me see which. Let me get at what I mean here. If you look at verse nine, uh, you see there that uh, we have two people contrasted. Uh, 
says there in verse 9, those of low estate are but a breath, those of high estate are a delusion, in the, ba- uh, in the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. The deluded rich. Sometimes you can be so taken with yourself that you lose touch with reality. You're deluded. You're suffering from the delusion of your own worth. You know, we've got lots of stories, like the emperor's new clothes, where, you know, the emperor is so full of himself that he's deluded. He actually believes what the sycophants say about him. And, you know, he, of course, puts on clothes that aren't there and goes out in public and, you know, and everybody's supposed to praise uh, his marvelous raiment, and it turns out that there's actually nothing there. And it's only the, the innocent, truth-telling child who proclaims the obvious. There's nothing on that guy. <laughs> He's naked. And then everybody's eyes are open, but actually they were opened all along. But it's, a, it's remarkable how we can go along with these things. And we're told in verse 10 that we can uh, find ourselves subject to delusions when things go well. Put no trust in extortion, verses verse 10. Set no uh, vain hopes on robbery. Okay, those are obviously illicit uh, things. Uh, But I think the next statement, if riches increase, set not your heart on them, I think includes things that uh, lead to our, our growth and wealth that are licit, that are not illicit, that are that are just fine. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. I think, you know, at certain points in our lives when we don't have anything that, to claim, things that, you know, we can't, we can't say that's mine, we're just as poor as, as, you know, the old saying goes, church mice, we, we tell ourselves, if I ever came into any money, <laughs> it would not be like all those terrible wealthy people who put their hope in their riches. I, I would be trustworthy. I'd be like Tevier, you know, in Filler on the Roof. Do you remember Tevier in Filler on the Roof? If I were a rich man? Remember that great, that great song? You know, here's a guy, he's got five daughters, he's a milkman, he has nothing, you know, and uh, in fact, he's got to figure out a way to pay for the five weddings. <laughs> anyway, so he, he's... He's uh, poor, and everybody knows he poor, he's poor, but he, but he fantasizes. What would it be like to be a wealthy man? If I were a rich man, you know. You're all going to go home and watch Fiddler on the Roof after this. It's a, it's a, fun, it's a fun film to watch. But, he, you know, he, he says, I would do this, I would do that. And when he gets to the crescendo, to the very end of the song, after he's, you know, convinced himself that he would you know, have all of these wonderful things for the benefit of his wife and his daughters and so forth. Then he tells himself, ah, then I would have all the time I'd want to read the Torah, God's word. I'd spend all day arguing with my fellow, you know, scholars uh, concerning this or that meaning from, you know, the scriptures. Marvelous thought. And we all tell ourselves that. But is that the way it really works out? Very rarely. (laughs) There's something about the pull of wealth and our ability to deceive ourselves. Think about that. Have you ever lied to yourself? What makes it possible to even do such a thing? Nevertheless, you know you've lied to yourself. I've lied to myself. 
Don't tell me you're better than me. Remember the earlier point? Anyway, <laughs> but you know what I'm getting at. We do have an ability to kind of be, well, bewitched by the goods of this world, to feel like we're invulnerable. Got a little money in the bank. Got some options. Got a good job. I'm invincible. Well, you're deluded. The pride of life. That's what this passage from 1 John is alluding to. If we, if we give ourselves over to these things and glory in these things, we will pass away as they pass away. But whoever does the will of God, we're told in verse 17 in 1 John chapter 2, will abide forever because he is the one who is good, who is eternal, who is the source of every good thing, who is truly valuable. Consequently, we're encouraged to make an exchange. And we need reminders in our lives of what's real. I think I've noted this before, that uh, during a Roman triumph, you know, when, a, when a, a great conqueror would return to Rome, there would be a parade. And behind the conqueror, the general, there would be uh, an entourage. Of course, his soldiers. And then all of the, 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 the tribute that they, they are returning with, the, the riches that they acquired in conquest, and then the slaves, all the people who had been conquered and now were being pressed into service. And there would be this great, you know, cheer as they entered the, the streets of the city, streets of Rome. But the Romans were very uh, insightful and provided a reminder to the general that he wasn't all that. There would be somebody there on the chariot with him, whispering in his ear again and again, Momento homo, momento homo, meaning don't forget you're only a man. Don't forget you're only a man. In the midst of this surge of praise, there would be this ongoing earworm reminder, you're only a man. We need things like that in our lives because uh, we're surrounded by flatterers. You've got one that you carry around in your pocket every day. It's called a smartphone. It's a sycophant. It's intended to get you thinking about yourself in ways that are not sound. It's a source of delusions. There are young people whose lives are getting completely messed up by it for different reasons. But one of the things that it does is is it kind of creates this sense that you're more than you are. And it's designed to work that way. Why? Because it wants to capture your attention, get a hold of you and extract riches from you, get information that it can use to sell to other people. That little device that helps you communicate with your friends, that little device that helps you keep up to date on what's going on in that celebrity's life that really is just for show. (laughs) You know, that's working on your your mind and and working in in your life in such a way that it's lying to you about the world and you're giving yourself over to it. But there's there's another sycophant that's even worse, and it's the flesh. There's a part of you and a part of me that lies to us all the time. It's the inner traitor 
it tells you things that are not so to get from you things that it shouldn't have any right to. Things that are designated to God and his glory, not you and your glory. And because of that, our lives go from being meaningful to being less weighty than a breath. There's that marvelous statement there uh, in verse 9. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. And the balances they go up, uh, they are together lighter than a breath. They don't have substance. They don't have substance. The envious, the proud, neither has substance. Who has substance? God is the one who is substantial. In fact, the, uh, the word that we translate uh, into the English word glory from Hebrew means weight, heavy. And that's the contrast. Our glory is as substantial as breath. When we glorify ourselves in a vainglorious way, but God's glory is substantial, it's substantial, and we should long for that. There's a marvelous passage in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that I'd like uh, to direct your attention to that makes this point. And here the Apostle Paul is talking about uh, this contrast, but applying it in such a way to encourage people. He says in uh, chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, beginning at verse 16, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We're made for eternal things, true wealth that does not pass away. So what do we say to ourselves in the midst of all this? And that's one of the things, too, about the, the Psalms that's just so marvelous is you can kind of overhear David talking to himself, or trying to remind himself of certain things and remind us of those things in the process. We're told there uh, in verses uh, 11 and 12, God, uh, Once God has spoken, twice they have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Someone other than you or me or even the government that we submit to, as legitimate as it is, uh, is the one who's really in charge. And that, that one is the Lord. He's the judge. And he will judge. We're promised that. It says uh, there at the very end of the, of the psalm, uh, for you will render to a man according to his work. It doesn't always appear that way. Things don't move along as quickly as we'd like, but we're given that promise that in the midst of the uncertainty, at least as it regards the appearances of things, we have a promise to hold on to that God will judge, that God will render to each person according to his work. And this is a good thing. It's not something that uh, is exclusively bad. But sometimes he waits. Sometimes he's slow to act, and we grow impatient. And it's that slowness, I think, that can be discouraging to us because hope deferred uh, is like something that gives us a, a sense of illness, a spiritual kind of malaise, uh, an inability to, to appreciate what God has done for us in his, 
and is doing for us. And this is what that passage from 2 Peter chapter 3 is, is really supposed to, to address. Sometimes people use it in ways out of accord with its intention. But uh, let me read it to you, and I think you'll see what I mean. So this is 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 8, and I'll read through verse 10. There uh, Peter says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all uh, should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Works that are done on it will be exposed. That's an apocalypse. An apocalypse is a revelation. It's a demonstration of what has always been the case, but perhaps hasn't been clearly seen. And what are we to do in the meantime? We're to wait. We're to wait in silence and in hope. We see a couple of times uh, David saying this to himself, to encourage himself, I think. Verse 1, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. And then again in verse 5, for God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. It's easy to say that. It's difficult to do, isn't it? To wait in silence for the Lord to deliver, for the Lord to judge. I think the thing that we need to remember, though, is that when the Lord was judged by false judges and then crucified, he remained silent. He was silent because he was waiting for his father to speak. And when his father spoke, what happened? Judgment. In his case, vindication. The judgment of the lower court, which was corrupt, was overturned, and Christ rose from the dead. He waited for his father to act. And that's what we need to do as well. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't take action at any given time. There are times for us to do what, have, what we have to do to secure our interest, to appeal to the lower court and so forth. But even so, in all of that, we know that we live in a world where things are always done imperfectly, and ultimately we rely on God's judgment to set things right. God is the just judge, and we wait for his final word. Have you ever gotten into an argument with somebody who just can't let you have the last word? Maybe you're that guy who just has to have the last word. Well, I want you to know, you won't have the last word when it comes to reality. Power belongs to God. He's the one who will have the last word. And you know what? That's a good thing. Because, frankly, I don't trust you. <laughs> anyway, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the encouragement that we receive from your word. Also, Lord, thank you for how it serves as a mirror uh, into which we can look and see ourselves as we are. Not as we wish we were, not as we tell the world we are, 
but really see ourselves as you see us. And thank you, Lord, that you've done what needs to be done to restore your image in us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And help us, Lord, also to know that when we put on Christ, you see us in him. And that is a promise, not just a kind of a, a lie, but a real promise that what uh, you see will be the case someday when we are glorified. When we see him as he is, and we will be as he is. In Christ's name, amen.